I do. I do with all of my heart. There's an expectation inside of me. There's a hope that is alive. If, if you hadn't been around, you don't know my story. Uh, in spite of everything I've been through, there's a hope. I believe great things are coming. I believe there's amazing days that are ahead. Hallelujah. Welcome to Victory Today. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory. We are thrilled to have you. Some amazing churches in the West Memphis, Marion area, and we're honored that you've come to be with us. Hope that you make yourselves at home. You may be seated together this morning in the presence of the Lord. Pastor Jeremy did a wonderful job last Sunday on a message called Gains of Reduction. David said, One thing have I desired of the Lord that I may seek after. It's to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. We've been doing a series called Victory Values. And um, I'm so excited today to jump right in and uh, give you what I believe is the engine in the car. The, what drives what we do here at Victory is all about today's E, the, the value. We, we intentionally create an environment we embrace diversity in our community. And then today we're going to talk about active engagement. Everybody say active, active engagement. I just got back from New York City, had a wonderful trip, two days in a U-Haul hauling some furniture that Abby just could not do without. The world would end if she didn't have this furniture in her new apartment. Baby, why don't you find it in New York City and buy it there? She said, well, I did, but the same couch in New York City is $6,000. I said, we'll take it, we'll take it to New York. <laughs> the crazy thing is, is that it is a retro, it was like an acid green velvet tufted, total like retro. If you remember the show Friends, this is probably something you would see in the, uh, what was the, the, the Central Perk, yeah. Uh, this is probably like some furniture that you probably see in that, and it's very retro and very much millennials love all this. And so we hauled it all up there, and the crazy thing is that the young administrative assistant for Park Avenue artists who represent Abby. We had a meeting there after we got everything loaded in by Wednesday, everything she'd had in storage from the moving company, and they brought it in, set it all up, put it together for her. And then we had a 5 o'clock financial meeting and planning meeting about some things that are opening up for Abby's career. And Ina, um, uh, a young Lithuanian uh, young lady, wonderful person, uh, she, she rubbed the couch and she said, is this new? And I said, no, it's 60 years old. <laughs> it was my Aunt Lucille. She had no children, had no pets. And so it probably wasn't set on three times over the 50 years that she had it. And so it's all kind of coming back in now. And got that up there, had a great time, wonderful few days, met some new friends, had some, drink, uh, had some amazing food, and uh, just great opportunity with uh, uh, Thrilled. Abby tried to get me to stay over and go to Toronto, Canada with her today because she's singing with Shaka Khan tonight in a very special event honoring Quincy Jones, the, the big world-famous producer. And um, so she's going to have a blast. There's a new documentary coming out on Quincy's life. And Abby, uh, not, not Abby, but Quincy wrote this song called Keep Reaching. And then he had Abby do all the vocal parts. And so um, I, I could literally take an hour and tell you the things that are opening up for my baby girl. And uh, that's not what we're here for. We're here to talk about the gospel, talk about Jesus. And, um, but it's just I am overwhelmed at the goodness of God that's being manifest in Abby's life. And uh, just exciting days. We had two days of some very, very wonderful father-daughter, heart-to-heart, intimate conversations. And talked about everything because we had two nine-hour days of driving. Spent the first night in Bristol, Virginia, and then got up at 11 the next day and drove in and got to New York City. She's in central Manhattan now. <clears throat> and um, just had some amazing talks about the call of God on our life and her pursuit of the things of the kingdom and the fact that she feels like she's sent into one of these seven mountains. If you're familiar with kingdom teaching, this idea of the seven mountains are the kingdoms of the world, the kingdom of entertainment, science, technology, education, law, well, music, entertainment is one area that is very dark. It's a very aggressive culture, and she feels very much sin of God to take the light of the kingdom of God into that and to demonstrate a whole new way of, of doing and creating and calling out to the hearts of people uh, without necessarily quoting scripture but singing songs that are very, very spiritual and are very kingdom-oriented 
Um, she's written about 25 new ones. She's already finished all 12 to go on her new album. We're going to be releasing two brand new ones in October, late October, possibly early November. It's a little bit iffy on that date. But some great things happening there. My son's going to be married in three weeks to a remarkable girl. He's marrying way up above his station in life. We're so, so proud of him and her. And just awesome things happening. So that just kind of catches you up on what's going on in my life. And I'm excited to be here. I love New York City. Abby's trying to get me moved there. Drew's trying to get me moved to Fort Worth. And I said, you know, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm going to stay right in the middle. I'm going to come visit y'all both twice a year. And you can come visit me a couple of times. And at Christmas... And I'm going to stay right here. I was never so glad to get off the plane and get back home. I drove straight to the new building to see what they'd done all week long, just to, just to get, a, get a catch up, and then ran home and literally got plowed down by my dogs that just, just, it was like the second coming for them for me to be back home. They literally tackled me to the floor. Odie, who's 110 pounds, put both of his arms up on me, and I thought he was going to dance with me. So anyway... That's my story. Glad to be back here. I love to see your smiling faces. Great to be back in the pulpit. How many of you love Jesus? Say amen. All right. Moving quickly today, we're talking about active engagement. Active engagement. The series text is Isaiah 43, 21. This people have I formed for myself. God himself formed Israel, the natural nation of Israel, to be a people that would declare his praise. King James says, show forth my praise. Be a demonstration, be a manifestation of the life of God, the, the praises of God as God's spirit moved and worked through them. Now, it is totally legitimate as a New Testament believer for me to look back to Isaiah and see that the promise that God made to Israel and the natural Jew is now something that I can claim for the church of Jesus Christ because we are a special people that have been formed for himself, that we should show forth his praise. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has, past tense, called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. How many of you thankful for the light of the Lord? How many of you thankful you're not what you used to be? Now you know you're not yet what you're going to be. And so God's in process working on you. He's still working on all of us. Uh, we're not what we used to be. We're not what we're going to be. We're in between the now and the not yet. And so God is moving. God is actively working in our lives. And he has made us for himself that we should show forth his praise. Galatians 3.29 says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God made Abraham all the promises about the land for the people of Israel. And they're all fulfilled in Christ. And now because I'm in Christ, the, God, the promises God made to Abraham are mine. I can lean into them and say, okay, Lord, as the seed of Abraham, I thank you. You're going to bless me. You're going to make me the head and not the tail. You're going to put me above and not beneath. I'm going to go over and not under. All those words God spoke to Abraham. I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. I'm going to make your name great. All the families of the earth will, will be blessed through you. We know that came through Jesus Christ. So... I'm a part of a special people that God has called to show forth his praise. We've been made for him. Everybody say, I am too. Come on, that's me and you, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, our series, or that is our series text. Our message text this morning is found in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. Four, four verses. And before we read this, I want to give you a little background on what happens when Jesus uh, basically steps out of the shadows to inaugurate his new ministry in Nazareth. He walks into the synagogue and he takes the roll or the scroll of Isaiah from the synagogue attendant, rolls it open, and he reads Isaiah 61, this passage we're about to read. And when he concludes it, this is basically the components of the gospel. This is his declaring, I have been anointed and sent to proclaim this message and to do these things. The message is the good news. These things are the implications of that good news, how it's been, it's the good news acted out, okay? And he finishes reading Isaiah 61, scroll to the attendant, and he says, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. That's very religious sounding. Bottom line is, he's just saying, what you guys have been looking for for centuries, I'm here. 
I am the one. I am the, the servant that God has sent. I am the one sent from Jehovah. Yahweh, the Son of God, I am sent here to do what you've been longing for. It's here now. And as he opened the Gospel of Mark, he said it this way, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. They've been longing for centuries. And he's basically saying, things are different. There's a new sheriff in town. Repent, change your idea about what you thought it was going to be because I'm not going to show up in the way that you thought. As a matter of fact, he didn't. He came as a vulnerable, helpless baby. He didn't ride in on a white horse the way they thought a, a, a kingly Messiah would, but he came and experienced every temptation, every challenge, every bit of brokenness. And the Bible says he was in all points tempted growing up, just like you and I are, yet without sin. And so we're thankful this morning for a Savior who is living and is alive. And this morning as we look at this, I'm going to ask you to, to, to stand up out of your comfortable spot and let's get these four verses together. I'll let you be seated in just a moment, but let's read this morning beginning in Isaiah 61. Here we go. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring what? Everybody say good news. Now you're going to see that in these verses this morning. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, this is my promise right here, look here. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them though they have been deserted for many generations. I love these words. They so go with the new song that Sidney sang this morning. He is not only restoring, he's not only reviving, but greater things are yet to come. Do you believe that this morning? Yeah. Look at your neighbor and say, I believe him. He's telling the truth. Say, greater things are yet to come. All right, look at your one thing. Let's grab it this morning. One thing, read it out loud together. So much of religion is advice. What you need to do or not do to get to God. But the gospel is news of what God has already done to get you to himself. And that has changed everything. Read it one more time like you mean it. So much of religion is advice. What you need to do or not to do to get to God. But the gospel is news of what God has already done to get you to himself, and that has changed everything. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Great and amazing God, thank you that you're our loving Father. As a matter of fact, it amazes us to stand in this place and to be able to say the words, Our Father. Thank you that you loved us, and because, of, because you first loved us, we love you and we love each other. Thank you today that you speak to the hearts of your people. Holy Spirit, I acknowledge before you and everyone listening that I desperately need you. Jesus, get involved in the words that I speak and the thoughts that I think. Be hearing and understanding and perception in the hearts and the minds of your people. Do what only you can do, O Holy Spirit. You're the teacher. You're the one sent from God. We acknowledge today how much we need you. Thank you that because of you, O oh God, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory and the honor all to the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Such a blessing to be with you today and to enjoy these few minutes together. <clears throat> Um, it just amazes me that uh, after 27 years in this place, I think we have one bucket out, or there's a little swimming pool over here, after that monsoon that hit last night. I was up in the, the attic in, the, in the, my man cave where I have all my books and, and my uh, desk and studying where I pray and write messages and everything. I was sitting on the couch, and just a couple feet from me is the slanted roof 
And, of course, the, the rain is hitting it on the other side. And I said out loud, my gosh, that's crazy. I mean, it was just, I'm, I'm looking to see if I'm going to have a leak somewhere. It just was hitting so hard. And in that moment, I said, Holy Spirit, let that be a natural sign of what you're going to do in the Spirit. Pour out the Holy Ghost on the delta like that. We want that, Lord. We want to, we want to just have a deluge, a flood of the Spirit of God. We want revival. Hallelujah. If you believe that, say amen. And so that is our prayer. God has sent us as the church of Jesus Christ. We're on mission. We've been sent. We intentionally create an environment. The, the environment that we have here is not about lights and the sound and the style of the music and the speed or the volume of the songs and the fact that people are a little bit more demonstrative here, raising their hands in worship or clapping them in praise, maybe getting a little excited and stomping your feet and moving around in a little bit of a jig or a dance once in a while enjoying life, enjoying celebrating Jesus, just enjoying the presence of God and enjoying each other. But the environment is, is how we treat each other. The environment is the life that is in this place. And the life has to do with the message that we're going to be talking about this morning. We intentionally create an environment, value number one, and that, that intention is the fact that we are kingdom-focused, we are gospel-driven, we are presence-centered, it's all about the presence of God, and we have grace-based relationships, which means we have to learn to walk in forgiveness and love each other, even when it's difficult to love each other. Come on, somebody say amen. Uh, the the, the gospel-driven part is what we're hitting today, okay? Now, we move from number one, from we intentionally create an environment, to number two, we embrace diversity in our community. Regardless of denominational persuasion, whether you are a Christian or not, uh, regardless of your background, your lifestyle, your sin, past sin, present sin, future sin, current habits, addictions, behaviors, culture, beliefs, uh, political ideologies, we're going to obey the words of Jesus in red, love your neighbor. That means that we're going to love our Baptist neighbor and our Methodist neighbor and we're going to love our Republican neighbor and our Democrat neighbor and we're going to love our black neighbor and our white neighbor and our brown neighbor and our yellow neighbor and our red neighbor. We're going to love our gay neighbor. We're going to love our Muslim neighbor. We're going to love our racist neighbor. We're going to love our pharisaical neighbor. We're going to love our atheist neighbor. We're just going to love our neighbor. Can I have an amen? And so that's what we're committed to do at Victory. We're going to throw our arms around people and love them and embrace them and realize that every human on the planet that has breath in their lungs is broken in some kind of way and needs value number three today. We have to throw our arms around them and love them and embrace them. Pastor, are you serious? You're just going to love on all this sin and all these people that are, that are coming in? Absolutely. You were in that mess one time. You may be sitting there in that mess this morning, but we love you anyway. How many of you are thankful that God doesn't kick you out because you, you, you're so bad? He loves you in spite of your badness, and his love is so great that it won't leave you where you are. He loves you right where you are, but his love is so great it won't leave you in that place. It will transform you. And God's called us to do the exact same thing. We love our children when we don't approve of their choices. And so we need to love people that are around us. As a matter of fact, my last, I'll just go ahead and give you the, 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 the end point of the message this morning. The very last thing is John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. The NLT says you will prove to the world that you're my disciples if you, if you can just love each other. How many of you know that's saying something? That's a whole mouthful. Because some, sometimes folk are a little hard to love. Some folk are EGR. Everybody say EGR. Extra grace required. We'll get to that. But everybody like your neighbor say, we're going to love everybody. Okay, so we embrace diversity, differences. Jesus didn't say love your similar neighbors. He didn't say love everybody that looks like you and acts and talks like you. He said love your neighbor. We're going to obey the red letters. Come on, somebody, say amen. And so the third value this morning is engage people with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. This thing called the gospel has life in it. It's contagious. It's infectious because there's joy and it produces faith and it, it, it begins to birth a hope on the inside of people. I'm getting ahead of myself because those are my, my points this morning. The, the whole thing that the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, there abides these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. 
Old King James says faith, hope, and charity. And charity is the old English way of literally love in action. It's not just love for somebody, but it's love one to another. It's love in action. It is charity that begins at home but spreads out to the rest of the world. Somebody say amen. So much of religion is advice, what you need to do or not do to get to God. But the gospel is news of what God has already done to get you to himself, and that has changed everything. Value number three this morning is engage people with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. And as we begin this morning, we want to just say, what is that message? Ask the question and answer it. The, the message simply is just good news. Point number one. Everybody say, simply good news. And, and what that does is it produces faith. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The Bible says, for I am not ashamed of what? This good news. Now, the newer translations take the word gospel because words um, evolve over generations. They begin to take on different nuances. And ideas sometimes, it, it's sort of like um, the, the, the big humpback whale in the sea. And, and un, the underbelly has a lot of crustaceans that have... Uh, or, or barnacles and parasites that have attached themselves to the underbelly of that great big whale. And the gospel is a whale. But sometimes we have some cultural, churchy kinds of barnacles that have attached themselves to this big whale of the gospel, and they bring some confusion. And so I want to bring some clarity this morning because in the Bible Belt South, the gospel has been reduced. It's been boiled down. It's been simmered on the stove of hyper-fundamentalism. And it's been reduced to Jesus died for your sins so you don't have to go to hell. Now, do not misunderstand me. Thank God that's a part of it. Say, that's part of it. But that is only this much of something that is bigger than this room. That's one little bitty tiny bit and people have the idea that the good news is very simply Jesus died to pay the penalty for my sins so I don't have to die and go to hell. And thank God it includes that but the message of the gospel is far bigger and more comprehensive than that alone. And so folk who are arguing for what the gospel is sometimes try to reduce it down it's like simmering a sauce on the stove and you cook all the water out of it and it just becomes soupy and it's just reduced down almost and, and, and you almost have to reconstitute it. Like when you buy a can of Campbell's soup and it's, it says in concentrate, you have to add water back to it because you've got to expand it back to where it actually belongs. Don't reduce. There is a spirit of reductionism in, in the church, in the Bible Belt South that wants to reduce the gospel to fire insurance that you don't have to die and go to hell. And I'm thankful for that. That is one advantage and one benefit and one blessing of the gospel, but that is one tiny part of something that is so much larger than just that. So when the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans, let me go ahead and get the rest of this scripture. For I'm not ashamed of the good news, the gospel about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Verse 17 he says, this gospel or this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, get right with God. That's not something you do. It's leaning into the gospel is how it works. The good news makes you right with God. This is how he makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish. By what? Everybody say, by faith. Okay. It says, as the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Now remember, we are saved, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Everybody say gift. You didn't bring it with you, you it was given to you. you. You passively received something that someone else actively gave to you, and it's grace. You didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it. It's God's unmerited favor. It's God's operational power. And he doesn't just say it's by grace alone, but he says it's by grace through faith. And even that is a gift. God has given to every man the measure of faith, and he gives you and grants you saving faith, and that comes when you hear the gospel. So he says, 
It is through faith that a righteous person has life. Go ahead and jump ahead and give me my one more Romans verse. And I want you to see this, Romans 10, 17. How does faith come, saints? Here it is right here in the Word. So faith comes from hearing, and that is hearing the what? The gospel. Hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, this is the point. Religion wants to offer me advice. Three steps to a better marriage. Seven steps to financial security. Ten steps to holiness. Uh, 21 days to a new habit. 90 days to a changed life. And it's all about steps. It's all about advice. It's all about something that you have to do, do, do. And I want you to recognize this morning that the Bible tells me that religion says do, but gospel says what? Everybody say done. I want you to get that. When Paul used the word euangelion, we get the word evangel. We get evangelism. We get evangelist from it, which are very churchy words. But the word gospel is just this amazing idea of the news of an event that has taken place that has changed everything. The word he used in writing to the Roman Christians had very much to do with a cultural uh, use of a word that was given for the purpose of announcing and proclaiming the reign of a new emperor. It was gospel when Julius Caesar died and Octavius, his nephew, branded Augustus, the August one, That's the Caesar under the Roman Empire that Jesus was born under. And so when a new Caesar, a new emperor of the empire, uh, takes place and begins to reign, they send out a gospel herald. It is the proclamation that the king has come. A new emperor is running things. And because of this event, maybe it's a battle, maybe it's the victory over a coup, Maybe it was the challenge uh, of an opposing nation. And now out of that, this new emperor has emerged. And so the gospel is the announcement of a new ruler. Everybody say, Jesus is Lord. Which, by the way, was a political statement in the first century because that was a, a term that Caesar demanded that all of the citizens of the Roman Empire would say, Caesar curios, Caesar is Lord. But Christians came declaring, uh-uh, Caesar might be our leader here in the, in the empire, but Jesus is Lord. So they were making a political statement. They were putting their lives on the line by declaring Jesus Christ is Lord. He is kurios. He is the emperor. He is the leader. He is the, the one with final authority. He's the one who rules in the kingdoms of men. And so Paul used this term gospel because he was saying to them that a new king has come, a new emperor has arrived, and it's good news because it's about an event that has taken place in the past. Advice is steps that we have to act upon and do now. News is about something that has taken place historically, maybe 10 minutes ago, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 20 millennia ago. The good news that we proclaim is 2,000 years old. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, has come and stood among us and says, the kingdom of God is now available to you. It's at hand. Repent. Change your mind about what you thought it was going to be and just believe this good news. Believe the gospel. Believe this euangelion. Believe the herald that I've come to announce that the kingdom is available. You've been looking for it for centuries. And I'm here. Jesus was the embodiment, the personification of the rule of God in the earth. Heaven and earth met together in one and kissed. The lion and the lamb laid down together in in that one man, Jesus. The lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. That's, That's where the lion and the lamb laid down together. And in that one God man who stood upon the earth... And he says, it's available. Everything in the kingdom of God now is at your, it's within your grasp. It's within your reach. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Change your mind about what you thought it was going to be and believe this good news. The good news, thank God, is that he paid my penalty for my sin and I don't have to die and go to hell. But oh my goodness, it's so much more than just that. It's an event that took place in the past but it has ongoing implications for the future. And when they would announce it among the Romans and say, we have a new emperor because this event took place, now things are going to be dramatically different. 
And it would set the people up for a faith that would arise in their hearts and they would expect things to change in the empire. The word announced that emperor. It was the news of an immediate event and the expectation of a different future of things to come. The gospel is news about an event in the past that changed everything. Your past is now under the blood of Jesus. Your past has been forgiven. Your past has been literally thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. And as Dr. Billy Graham said, God has posted a sign that says no fishing. God who knows all things chooses somehow to not have in his recollection or his memory of your sins in the past. They are under the blood of Jesus and he remembers them no more. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give God some praise. Religion says do and gospel says done. So much of religion is advice, what you need to do or not do to get to God, but the gospel is news. It's news about what God has already done to get you to himself And that has changed everything, beloved. Point number two, he has given us a life-giving hope. 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 Hope is a powerful thing. I remember an amazing movie that every time it came on, Don always watched it, and we, we quoted lines out of the Shawshank Redemption over and over, talking about the the power of hope that'll get down into a man's soul. We'll make him see the world in different ways. Make him not be satisfied to live the way he or she has been living. You can go 40 days without food and about three or four days without water. You can go a couple of minutes without air, but I truly believe you can't live one minute without hope. You've got to have an expectation of something in front of you, something that is better than, something that is out in front of you, that God is going to bring greater things for your future in your life. I remember it was the fall of 19... 80. It was my second year of college at Arkansas State University. I was living in Delta Hall, which has since been torn down. All of the first floor, four wings, were the various fraternities on the campus. And the second floor was just students who had to endure the parties that were going on beneath them all the time. (laughs) I lived on the second floor. I had a roommate the first year. And the second year, I was there and actually, I think it was the second semester of my first year, if I'm remembering correctly now. It was, a spring, it was a spring day. I was out there on the balcony of the second floor of Delta Hall, and I had a new translation of Scripture that had been given to me, and I was memorizing the book of First Peter. And I remembered this passage. I want you to look at it in the NLT. It says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with, say it, great expectation. I love that. A friend of mine asked me how my trip was, and I described it in a paragraph of texting, and I said the word great about three or four or five times, and I said, then I texted back and said, overuse of the word great. And everything was great about New York. We had a great time in in a beautiful city, great, met great people, ate great food. But there's nothing like having a great expectation that God gives you a sense of hope for your future. And I've got a living hope on the inside of me because of an event that took place and covered my past. That's the gospel. My past is dealt with, and now by his mercy I've been born again unto a, King James says, a lively hope. Let's keep reading. Let's see what it says. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. No rust. No, no breakdown. Don't need to worry about new parts for this refrigerator. It doesn't just run five years and then you've got to go get a new one. This, this one's going to last all eternity. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So what's that saying? I've been saved, but there's something yet that I'm still going to be saved. My spirit has been saved, my soul is being saved, and my body shall be saved. When I see him, I will be like him. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So just seeing him will transform this vile body, and my mortality will be swallowed up in immortality. Glory to God. My my current used to be 50 waist, which is now a 44, Uh, is going to be swallowed up into a 32. Hallelujah. 
I don't know what your kingdom vision is, but I know what mine is. <laughs> I, I love it. I remember there's something about the old King James that just so resonates on the inside of me. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath Old English word hath, past tense, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, what you got in that first event ain't nothing to what you're going to get when this thing's wrapped up, honey. There's a great expectation. Come on, I got a hope down on the inside of me. And it, it is not a cabin in the corner of glory. It's not even a 40-room mansion on the golden street. It's a new body in a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. How have we, in the name of fundamentalism, reduced this amazing message of a, of a new king and a new lord down to just fire insurance? But there's a hope, there's something alive on the inside of me that in the, in the face of... In the face of overwhelming grief over the last 20 months, 22 months of my life, something has got me up out of the bed in the morning and said, there's still a brighter day coming. There's still something greater yet that is before you. You're mourning? I'm going to put a crown of the beauty over you for the ashes that you've had. I'm going to pour oil of joy over you in the place of all the mourning. Look at your neighbor and say, that's a great expectation. Y'all are doing all right this morning? So much of religion is advice, what you need to do or not do to get to God, but the gospel is news about what God has already done to get you to himself, and that has changed everything. That event in the past, the good news that I hear about that event produces faith, and faith connects me to him and puts the life and the new hope on the inside of me when I'm born again. The fact that my past has been dealt with births in me a new hope for the future. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Let me let you in on a little secret. The reason why you come to this place and you feel differently than any other place that you've ever been is because the gospel is alive. It has life in it. You hear a word from God and it puts so much energy in you, you feel like you've had a, a spiritual vitamin B12 shot. You've been on a drip all day long. And you've drank a dozen Red Bulls and glory to God, you're just ready to take on the hell with a water pistol. You don't need a new idea. You don't need to refinance anything. You don't need a new wife or a new job or a new house or a new car. Thank God for all those things if it's in the will of God for you, whatever. You just need one word from God. You just need one word because when that word comes, it has life in it. And that living thing, that seed gets down into the soil of your soul and it moves stuff out of the way. One of the most powerful illustrations I've ever seen in my life is I was walking home from school as a little fat kid in Bragg Elementary School and I walked every day for six months, for six years, first through sixth grade. And I watched a little bitty seed coming up through the sidewalk that over the period of the next few years, that thing became a sapling and then it became a tree and it literally picked up concrete and moved it out of the way. Because things that are alive are more powerful even than concrete that's heavy. There's no life in concrete. But a little bitty, tiny, nothing, unassuming, vulnerable seed just stayed with it and just kept growing and kept nudging and kept pushing and created a whole new crack and moved a sidewalk out of the way. Because life does that. I'm born again with a living hope, with a great expectation Something that has the ability to take me through grief and pull me through to the other side. <sighs> Point number three, and I'm finished. Active engagement. I've heard the good news, the euangelion. The, I've been evangelized. I've been heralded. The Bible says in Isaiah 52... 
How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news. Actually, Isaiah says the feet of him. That's Jesus. And then Paul takes that same scripture and quotes it in Romans 10, and he changes the him to a them. He says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them who bring the gospel good news, proclaiming peace, announcing news of happiness. Our God reigns. How many of you know between that event of him dying for us, God has birthed a whole company called them. It's not just him anymore, but it's them. And we are being made in his image and his likeness. Come on, somebody. Hello, them. Come on. You are called. You are sent. You're on mission to this city. You're actively, you've been drafted. Come on. You, come on. You, you, you wouldn't have made this choice. You wouldn't have signed on the dotted line if you'd, if you'd seen all the fine print. God drafted you before you were born. He's conscripted you into service. You were called into this army of God and you are to be an ambassador. You were to herald this amazing good news of an event in the past that changed everything in the future. God began the process of renewing and reviving and restoring and recreating a new heaven and a new earth at that one event with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the beginning of the new creation of God. He is the firstborn from the dead, the firstborn among many brethren, Romans 8, 29 says. Oh, hallelujah. Active engagement. John three sixteen. you all know this, but I love it in the NLT. The New Living Translation says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And don't stop there. Get 17, because 17 will deal with the Pharisee in all of our hearts. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, hmm, but to save the world through him. You know, if Jesus didn't even come to judge, why do you think it's your place? Get off your judgment seat, because if you're covered with the blood, the judgment seat has become the mercy seat. Come on, somebody. Oh, that was a mouthful right there. Matter of fact, in the Holy of Holies, it's called the mercy seat, which the blood was sprinkled on. God's not sitting on a judgment seat over your life. He's sitting on a mercy seat, and the mercy seat's a love seat, and it's room for two. It's room for him and you. Come on in and sit on the love seat with me. The Father invites all of us. Ooh, that wasn't in my first message. I like that. 1 John 3.16. Isn't this cool? We know the gospel is John 3.16. Well, guess where we get involved and become active engagement? Drew is engaged to Holly. He's marrying way up the chain. She's, she's amazing. Matter of fact, I wonder sometimes what she sees in him. And my son is amazing too, but Holly's phenomenal. We're just so blessed. Love her. She's not my daughter-in-law to be. She's my daughter-in-love. And I'm just thankful for the new union that's going to come in their lives in three weeks. But they're engaged. They're actively pursuing a life together. They've made a commitment to make this thing legit, to make it real, to make it known, to cut a covenant, to establish an agreement between God and the two of them in the presence of the Lord and all of their friends and witnesses to say, till death do us part. So they're engaged. They're actively involved in moving in that direction. God's called this people, Victory Church, to be actively engaging the culture around us, not in judgment, not in placards of Turner Burn, but in a love that embraces and a gospel that is clear. Good news that is clear. It says we know what real love is. I, I love that old uh, rock anthem out of the 90s. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. Come on, help me sing it. I want to know what love is. Sing it like you mean it. I want you to show me. That's what the whole world is saying right there. Come on, church of Jesus Christ. You think you know what love is? Just give me a little demonstration. That's what the world is screaming. Show us. And the word of the Lord says in 1 John 3.16. Isn't that interesting? John 3.16 is the gospel. You go over to the little letters, the little small epistles of John. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John before you find Jude and Revelation. 1 John 3.16 says, we know what real love is. 
Because Jesus gave up his life for us. Read it out loud with me. Come on. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus did it for me. Now I actively engage you and I lay down my life. Come on, I told you what the, the bottom line is and I'm finishing it right now. John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's not because you've got a WWJD bracelet on or a honk if you love Jesus on your bumper sticker or a fish or whatever all the paraphernalia of 21st, 20, late 20th and early 21st century Christianity is. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But if you're going to put all that stuff and wear all that stuff and proclaim all that stuff all over your vehicle, please, when you get in Memphis traffic, don't flip anybody off in the name of Jesus. I'll never forget it. I got behind a big suburban and the mom is a soccer mom and, and, and I was trying to go somewhere. No offense to soccer moms. Jesus loves you too. I love you too. And, and I had to get to where I was going and I probably was a little bit aggressive and, and just tried to kind of cut in and she honked at me and flipped me off. And I started, I started laughing out loud because I had been behind her for miles and had been looking that, staring that fish in the face. Matter of fact, I nearly kissed that fish with my bumper a couple of times. <laughs> And she's just, just waving at me, the Hawaiian bird of love, all over the place. And I just said, glory to God. <laughs> That's the free part. I don't know why I told that. Your love for one another, look at it, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Folks, we gotta, we got to love people. we got to love your cranky neighbor that lives next door to you that's fussing over three inches of dirt because your fence is a little too far over the line. You got to love that crotchety thing in the cubicle next to you that's been hit with criticizitis of everything you do. You got to love the boss that seems to find something wrong with the way you do your job. You got to show up right with the right attitude, put a smile on your face, and show them what it means to have the joy of the Lord and to work hard. You got to love your crazy, out of their mind, lunatic kids. Come on, somebody. Especially if they're teenagers, you know what I mean. They're lunatics. They've been touched by the moon. <laughs> Lunatic. They're idiots. All of a sudden, you know, they, they think they're so smart over you, and then it takes them through the end of their 20s, and then all of a sudden they wake up one day and realize, oh my gosh, you are so smart, and you have so much grace, and I'm so thankful you're my mom and dad. And I'm hearing that now from my daughter, Abby. We had two days of, oh, I'm so glad you're my dad. I said, you know, you forgot that when you were about 16. We laughed, had a great time. You got to love people in spite of. You got to love people who are living lifestyles you don't like. You got to love folks that are in sin. You got to embrace. And when you embrace them, then you look for an opportunity. You pray for them and you lay your life down for them. And if you'll pay attention, God will open a door and you can drop a little seed of the gospel. You can be an active engager in their lives sharing a clear word, this amazing word about a new emperor who has come. Jesus, if you will let him be Lord of your life, he'll change everything. And he'll give you a new hope. And the whole amazing thing is between him changing your past and giving you a new hope for a future, you've got this middle space where all of a sudden he starts transforming your present. And that's my last thought. If you put it up and I'm finished. Read it out loud with me, please. Life between a transformed past and hope for a future that will be transformed is transforming in my present. Knowing that Jesus has dealt with my past and knowing that he's already there in the future ready to take care of and give me something far beyond what I can even... Ex it's a great expectation. Matter of fact, you, matter of fact, it's so great you ought to call me Tony the Tiger. <laughs> great expectation. Come on, somebody. Help me a little bit this morning. Yeah. And when you start to realize that, it starts transforming your life in the present. Because he's given you hope. Faith comes when you hear this, this good news, this herald, this announcement about a new emperor, a new sheriff in town, a new king who's come. Faith comes by hearing that gospel. And when you reach out and take hold of that faith, the beautiful thing about the foot of the cross is that it's level ground. Nobody's any more special than anybody else. 
Nobody has a better chance. Everybody has to bow their knee before the cross of Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I trust you. Save me. And when I do that and he, by his mercy, births me into the kingdom of God and gives me a living hope, then I know that my future is secure. Thank God. I'm not... I'm not going to be in an eternal hell. I'm going to enjoy heaven. But it's not just heaven over there in the sweet by and by. It's heaven that's coming right down into my life right now. Where he'll set the captive free. Where he'll heal the bruised and the broken and the blind. Where he'll bring good news to the poor. Whatever your area of brokenness is this morning, you don't have to stay that way. And the love of God is so great that he loves you right where you are, just like you are. But if you'll just reach out to him, his love is so amazing. We as the church, God forgive us, have tried to clean the fish before we've ever caught them. And if we'll we'll bait the hook with this kind of amazing life-giving message, the fish will jump in the boat. Do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus will say, get get another net, bring another boat because our nets are about to break. And I believe what God's going to give us in this new building is a new mended net to catch a whole lot of fish. We've been patching holes in the roof of this net. We've been doing everything we could trying to hold this net together. This is just a tool. God's about to give us a whole new net. How many of you know we're still fishermen? God's called us to be fishers of men. This morning, I just want to ask you right now, any area of brokenness in your life, that's the entrance point where Jesus, the gospel, where he's inviting you to come and invite him in. Let him touch that broken area of your life. And it very simply begins by saying, I believe this story. I believe this news. Paul wrote to the Romans and he says, if you just hear this news and you believe it in your heart, and you confess it with your mouth, the Bible says you will be saved. Saved right now from your past. Saved currently in the way you're thinking into a whole new kind of life and saved into the future with a whole new body in a new heaven and a new earth. That's the promise of God. Would you bow your hearts with me, please?